Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. We're heading into Thanksgiving weekend during the fall resurgence of COVID-19 in many parts of the country. Many of us are craving a gathering with the people we love. We're also in a critical phase of this pandemic, and the decisions we make about gathering with others now have some big consequences. It doesn't help that the advice from public health and governments across the country is often muddled or conflicting and hard to follow. So today on The Dose, we've brought back an expert who's been our guide in smart decision-making at other critical times over the past few months, Dr. Lenora Saxinger. Dr. Saxinger is an infectious diseases specialist and associate professor of microbiology and immunology at the University of Alberta. She'll help us answer the question, what are the safe rules for gathering with family and friends? Hi, Lenora. Welcome back to The Dose. Thanks for having me back. Let's start with a big question that's on so many people's minds right now, Thanksgiving. In COVID hotspots in Ontario and Quebec, public health officials are asking us not to gather with anyone outside our own household this weekend. In fact, the Quebec government has asked the whole province to stay home, period. What's your best advice on what we should be doing for Thanksgiving this year? You know, I think that my uh, thinking about this has changed over the last couple of weeks as we've seen the numbers shift from kind of a grumbling numbers to really flaring numbers. And so I'm taking a much more cautionary stance now. And I actually think that the hot spots, including my own city, Edmonton, um, and other places in Alberta, I think that I was more optimistic about gatherings being okay. But at the moment, we're seeing transmission from groups of people gathering indoors And that is not a good Thanksgiving outcome for anybody, honestly. So what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I'm staying at home with my immediate family in my household bubble, if we're using that terminology. And I will be making phone calls to families and friends. We might go out for a walk with another family after dinner. That's about as ambitious as we're going to get this year. And what about gathering outside? How much would that reduce the risk? Well, we still feel that outside gatherings are you know, significantly safer than indoor gatherings. And when you look at outbreak investigations, still the majority of them tend to be indoors related. So if it is a purely outside experience, unless you're in quite close quarters and close contact or sharing surfaces, which is an open question, um, it does seem pretty reasonable. So if there's a way to facilitate a gathering where people can be together but distant and in outdoor airspace, it's probably a reasonably safe option in most places. Uh, When we're talking about gathering with others, we know the big risk is being in close contact with other people, but what does the latest science say about touching the same stuff? It baffles me that we've had over 35 million cases in the world and we're still struggling with these basic questions, honestly. I guess that's just because the way knowledge evolves during a pandemic apparently is a little bit irregular. So there still is not excellent data about 
for sure transmission from shared high-touch surfaces. But we do know that coronaviruses are actually pretty resilient in, in the environment. And we do have some lab data that SARS-CoV-2 can actually survive on a variety of surfaces for a period of time. Um, of course, a lot of these lab studies use concentrations of virus that are really, really, really much higher than you'd get from somebody's mucus. Nonetheless, it's a potential risk. And there certainly are some outbreaks where it does look like the surfaces might have played a more significant role just because the people were at greater distance. But there's the open question. And I actually, this is an interesting thing to just go back to basics. We also know that people who wash their hands a lot get fewer colds. So there's that too. To, to get even more granular about this, what about things like utensils, sharing food, uh, uh, use, you know, going upstairs to use the bathroom, even if you are meeting in uh, outdoors? For shared utensils, there, there's some fairly easy ways to kind of minimize the potential risk, and that would be pre-plating, like one person does the pre-plating rather than everyone grabbing a spoon and serving themselves, um, or else um, people have only used their own utensils for, for serving food. And then for bathrooms, I actually just think, you know, as long as people are washing their hands before they grab doorknobs, that that kind of is in the realm of encompassable risk. Um, but, you know, wiping down the high-touch surfaces and having wipes available for people to do wipe-downs after they use the facilities, I think, is also prudent and reasonable and not that difficult. Like, I mean, we're, we're trying to find a place of livability of things that we can do to reduce risk um, and still have a decent existence and, you know, have a life. So you started to touch on some of the, the regional differences, and I want to ask you how much the risk varies depending on where you live at this point. You know, I live in Toronto, you live in Edmonton, as you've already mentioned. Are we looking at different levels of risk? Like between cities that are entering a resurgence, I think that the, the risk is pretty similar and that there are lots of places in Canada where there is still, you know, fairly low risk. Um, even with that, though, it just takes one super spreader event um, to really change the course in a community. And so even if you're in a low risk community, um, a big indoor gathering or, you know, a church supper or something like that still strikes me as being not something you should do because it would just take one person who's gone from a higher to low risk place who has mild or annoying symptoms that they're not even paying attention to to potentially transmit to a whole bunch of people. And that is, uh, that's like the wild card of this pandemic is that there, that a lot of people don't transmit infection very much at all, but a relatively small number of people might transmit a lot. And that's a little bit more difficult to control for. So caution is warranted everywhere in terms of gathering sizes and indoors. And then in areas that are really flaring up, I think that um, it really is going to change the look of Thanksgiving for sure. Uh, on this week's episode of White Coat Black Art, we're having a panel discussion on on confusion and conflicting and mixed messages. And it brings up a point that I wanted to ask you. Do we just wait for the provinces to tell us what to do? Or are there indicators that we can use to judge for ourselves that this is a time when I really need to to uh, stop the uh, the gatherings and just really hunker down? I mean, it is a good point because, frankly, I think part of the problem is that people have gotten desensitized to messaging, like they're not looking at the daily numbers as much, and you're just experienced life walking around, things look a lot more normal. But just because you can do something by the provincial rules or the community rules doesn't mean that you should do it. And I actually think that um, we are going to see dialing up of restrictions, but it's probably going to happen in kind of a staggered fashion because there's a lot of different considerations and negotiations. But just as a human being in, in a community and in this country, I think we should all really look at a hard reset this fall. 
Like we could just say, you know what, we are not as terrified and we know a lot more than we did in April and May. Um, we've learned a lot, but we actually cannot go back to normal yet because we do not have any, you know, significant advances against this virus and we're tired of it and it's not tired of us yet. We have to just say, okay, we're going to find that place of we're going to reduce our contact numbers. We're going to really think critically about our networks. We're going to do those physical basics and go get back into the habit because there's going to be a lot more indoors than outdoors again coming up because of our climate. And we're going to have to do the hard reset. And that is really, I think, the most responsible thing to do right now. And everyone who's actually been very cautious all the way along and is feeling underappreciated, like that might have been futile and it was hard and it didn't make a difference. You know what? It probably really did make a huge difference. And good, good for you, honestly. I want to get at uh, a question now that I think is becoming a really big hot button subject, especially now as we approach the Thanksgiving weekend. This is a time when a lot of university and college students would ordinarily be coming home. What can parents and their returning students do to minimize the risks? Wow, this is such a hard one, hey, because you're so excited to see them and it might be their first year away. Um, I, I actually think that if people are coming back from a campus situation, because we know that young people are much more likely to have essentially an apparent infection, that you do kind of have to go with the quarantine in home. And if they're actually going to stay in the house and not in, you know, some handy and available other space, um, that there be a real effort made to reduce the shared communal space interactions, which is a real bummer. But, you know, you can go outside after dinner, maybe that would be okay. Go for a walk, keep your one or two meters distance. But the going back to the old habits of interacting within the household could could actually pose a risk, honestly. You're trying so hard to make this work. And I have to ask you, you know, are there some (laughs) places when we should just be telling our kids, our university and college age kids to just stay at the university and college? Because that's your cohort. That's your bubble now. I think that that actually should be definitely on the table. And I mean, every family is different. If you have a household bubble that includes people who are at higher risk, I think that those families might really look at saying, hey, we're going to do a lot of FaceTiming over Thanksgiving and I'm sending you a care package. Um, But if they are going to be coming home, those things that seem almost like they might be silly to do actually make a huge difference. So masking within the house, hand washing and distancing and kind of avoiding the shared airspace actually does reduce household transmission a lot. There's some good studies on that. All right, Lenora, you started to talk about uh, other people who might be in the household and other contacts, and I, I want to I want to follow up on that. Last time on The Dose, last week, that is, we talked about long-term care homes and what a critical time this is to protect seniors. Should we even be seeing our older parents and grandparents right now? Age alone confers a huge extra risk of severe infection and mortality, and there's no way around that. I actually think um, virtual contact is by far the safe option. In places that are not having cases, managing contacts very, very judiciously might be kind of reasonable. But, you know, those home settings are extremely fragile, and already we're seeing outbreaks in multiple care homes all over the country again. Even though we've been through this before and we knew that was a risk, it's still happening. So on a personal level, not downplaying the risk of isolation, but saying that when things are ramping up and there's a lot of unknowns about how much transmission we're seeing. I have gone to visit my own uh, older uh, parent, and I would not do that right now. It would not be an appropriate time to do that, no. 
No. Wow. Unless, FaceTime again. FaceTime again, unless, unless they live in a long-term care facility and you're deemed one of their essential family caregivers. Yeah. And in that case, again, the risk reduction measures become super important. And, you know, one thing that keeps on striking me is that whether it's visiting elderly people or going into work or just running out to the store is that Canadians tend to be hardy, stoic people. And we're really used to ignoring minimal symptoms, like honestly not even noticing them. We have to retrain ourselves on that because that's actually proving to be an issue. I mean, our medical officer told us that 11% of the recent cases actually had been basically out and about and having multiple contacts after they had symptoms and before their test results were back. Yeah, you're talking about sore throats, you're talking about runny noses... A little bit of aches and pains, swollen glands in your neck. Yeah, like all the annoying things that you're kind of used to writing off. You really can't anymore. And so, you know, part of the hard reset, I think, might be people kind of getting into the mode of thinking, doing a little kind of all-system check in their own head. Like, how am I really feeling? Do I think something might be going on? And then modifying your activities and, and, you know, looking to see if you qualify for testing in your local area because that actually could end up being deadly to somebody. We'll be right back. Queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Pourd, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. We, of course, we're talking about this is this is Thanksgiving and we've heard uh, the prime minister say that Thanksgiving might not be what we wanted this year. But he did say we had a shot at Christmas. And I'm asking you now, how realistic is it that we can see more of our loved ones by then? Well, that is a pretty long time away. I think that if we really buckle down over Thanksgiving and the ensuing weeks and kind of try to figure out exactly what is okay and what is not okay in the fall of 2020, Christmas might look more possible in a lot of areas. The data from, you know, resurgences elsewhere and even initial epidemic data tell us that the early actions when things are taking off make a huge difference. And so the bigger the delay in intervening, the higher the peak and the longer the peak. And so some decisive action right now might really make Christmas look a lot more possible. But where everyone's kind of coming into, I guess, conflicts and confusion is what decisive action looks like and how decisive does it have to be. And I mean, everyone really needs to rewrap their head around it. I think there was a bit of a kind of a holiday um, over the summer where people were, I think, lulled into a little bit of a complacent state. But now we're, we're, we're looking at a change right now, and it's important to, to do it right. Lenora, I think I hear you saying that if we want to enjoy Christmas, that, that the sooner we get to lockdown, the sooner we get to having people not, not going back to work and, and, and closing indoor eating, indoor dining, uh, and all the other precautions that, that we did during the, during the winter and the early spring, then the more likely we, we will be to have uh, celebrations with our loved ones uh, in the holiday season. Yeah, it's kind of the, the, the carrot is that if we control things that we can, you know, have a better winter overall. Where it becomes really unclear is a lot of debate about regional or, 
you know, community-based restrictions versus overall restrictions, and a lot of debate about where the restrictions are most important. And I think there, it would be really great if we had um, more granular, and I know public health has been running their feet off for months and months now, but more granular idea of, you know, where is the majority of the spread occurring? Because you want to make sure that the prescription fits the diagnosis, yeah. if that makes sense. I do think that there's some clear things that look like they're just not a good idea right now. Indoor dining, we've seen U.S. Um, data that tells us that that's a risk. And we can still support our restaurants by ordering out. And I think that we should really be looking at focusing on that instead. I think that getting a little bit more refined and clear on the gathering sizes would be good. And then the final thing is the communication around bubbles and networks, I think, is gotten really diluted. I think the messaging needs to be untangled. So let's untangle that because certainly I this you know the the sense in Ontario is that we have to burst our social bubbles that it's a it's a concept that has come and has now gone. So what are your thoughts? That's an area where we saw a lot of creep of what's okay and what's not okay. And again, people are kind of feel more confident doing something when they've been doing it and nothing bad has happened yet, even though every time that you have an interaction, it's a new dice roll and the person that you're interacting with could have COVID, right? And so making it clearer that, you know, the household is the household is is really important. You are such a fantastic expert. I'm going to turn you into a parenting expert for just a moment. How should parents explain what has become an obvious contradiction to kids, that they can see friends at school in much larger kind of groups, but can't play with them or hang out uh, in each other's homes after school? Oh, boy. Um, Well, I mean, I guess one thing is it's important that the schools are using cohorts, and so it's not completely unfettered. Um, And if kids are going to be socializing outside of school, Outdoor socialization within cohort is kind of something that I think is hard to argue too much. But the indoors risk goes up a lot. And also, of course, kids' preferred friends might not be in their assigned cohort. Nonetheless, that's another link between two networks. That is a problem. So I I guess we would just kind of go back to the in-school setting, the cohort design, and the outdoors versus indoors risk. And I'm, I'm hoping people really embrace the idea of the winter city because <laughs> that will make a big difference. You know, buy the base layers now. Um, consider the, uh, I think all the patio heaters are sold out, but those things actually probably do make a good difference. Here's another source of conflict for cousins. You know, say my kids are at home doing online learning, but my sister or brother is sending their kids to school. How do we explain that to our kids? I think that this is one of those times where you might just saying, hey, kids, life's complex. But, you know, every family is making these decisions based on what they can sustain because we have to sustain our livelihoods and our lives. Um, and, and for some families who are able to do at-home learning, there's some give and take there in terms of benefits and risks and, and efficacy. And other families really don't have the ability to do that. Like they just can't actually manage without having their children in school. And there are benefits for kids in school as well. So families are different and settings are different. So you can just say that. <laughs> yes. Last question I'm going to ask you um, since we are living different COVID realities, depending on where we live uh, in Canada, what's your best kind of broad strokes advice on what factors we need to consider when deciding whether to gather with others? Because we're all facing possible upsurges, even if we're not in one, that we reset and look at the number of people we're thinking of being in contact with and minimizing it quite strictly. 
most strictly in places with outbreaks to just your own household, that we look at the place where we might socialize. If we feel that it is worth the risk of face-to-face socializing, we distance, we hand wash, we mask, we maximize outdoor ventilation. And, you know, kind of reflecting on the, the networks that you're interacting in and minimizing, linking them is another interesting concept. And if you're in doubt, probably don't do it. Like, if you think, how would this look uh, on the newspaper headline? Like, outbreak at infectious diseases doctors Thanksgiving dinner. That doesn't look that great, you know? So how would that look if it didn't had Didn't look good headline? in the White House either. <laughs> no, it didn't. It really didn't. But, um, but, you know, how does that look as a headline? And, and if you think, oh, that's not very good, then maybe don't do it, honestly. And uh, the carrot, the giant carrot to keep in mind that maybe what you're trying to do is keep things as wide open as possible for the holiday season coming up. Right. I mean, if we if we manage to nip this in the bud and get things decent, I mean, we are learning every week that goes by, there's new knowledge about what is, you know, what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and this fall could actually set us up for a possible better holiday season at the end of the year. And boy, will we be happy to see the end of this year, hey? Yes, I think that, that I join many Canadians in, in uh, wishing uh, 2020 a very speedy exit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lenora, exactly. Lenora, thanks as always for your advice and for being on The Dose. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Dr. Lenora Saxinger. She's an infectious diseases specialist and associate professor of microbiology and immunology at the University of Alberta. We are well past the more carefree days of summer. Across much of Canada, cases of COVID-19 are rising steadily, forcing us to pivot to stronger precautions. Here's your dose of smart advice. If you live in a place where cases are on the rise, it's likely time to keep Thanksgiving dinner to household contacts only and go virtual with extended family and friends. Where there's muddy or conflicting advice from public health or politicians, this is a time to err on the side of caution. Pair your list of contacts to essential people only. And when you must get into contact with people outside of your household, practice physical distancing, wash hands, and wear a mask, especially if you meet them indoors. If you're an essential caregiver and you want to visit loved ones in long-term care, make certain you wear proper PPE. If your kids attend school, it's probably okay for them to see friends after school if they're in the same classroom. And if you're having a hard time explaining to your kids why they have classes online and their cousins go to school in person, you're not alone. Dr. Saxinger says you should tell your kids that different parents are making different decisions for different reasons. This is important. She also says her own thinking is evolving as COVID-19 enters a new and more uncertain phase. So should yours. If we ramp up precautions decisively now, we improve our chances of being able to get together in person during the holiday season. If you have questions you'd like answered on COVID-19 or anything else on The Dose, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me, with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Special thanks to Austin Pomeroy for his technical expertise. 
The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.